Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm pleased to be with you this morning. It's a pleasure to get to open up God's Word and to study it together this morning. And so I want to invite you, if you have your copy of God's Word, to turn with me to James chapter 3. If you didn't bring a copy of the Bible with you today, you can get one on the pew rack uh, just right in front of you and flip to the book of James chapter 3. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Before we read the text, I just want to remind us that the big picture, the main idea of the book of James is that James is encouraging us and he's teaching us that uh, genuine faith, that, that real faith in Jesus Christ, saving faith in Jesus Christ, always, every day, every time, plays itself out, it manifests itself in our works. If you want to know if your faith is true, if your faith is genuine, then just look at how that faith has changed your life and has changed your obedience. And we can have a good idea of how true and how genuine our faith actually is. So with that said, I want to invite you to stand with me once more if you are able. This is God's holy and inspired and inerrant word. James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that it obeys us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you this morning. Father, as we approach your word, we acknowledge that this is a word that you have spoken, that this is your perfect and infallible word, and it is able to make us righteous. So, Father, I pray that as we study, as we listen, as we think, as I preach, Father, may your word do its work in our hearts this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I read a really interesting study this week 
Uh, this study was done by the medical school at the University of Arizona. And according to this study, it says that the average person in our country speaks 16,000 words in a day. So <clears throat> this study says that any average person in our country speaks about 16,000 words a day. Now, some of you guys may have heard before, it's kind of an old uh, saying, kind of wisdom that women speak more than men. And uh, there have been some people, I saw some folks that, uh, you know, they say that the average word the men speaks in a day is about 7,000 words, whereas women speak up to 20,000 words in a day. Uh, some of you guys are smiling right now because you think that's true. But this study says that that's not true, that the average person uh, speaks about 16,000 words in a day. And the actual, the, the biggest thing, <clears throat> the most significant difference uh, uh, or factor that influences the amount of words a person speaks is actually not their gender, but it's actually their occupation. So depending on your occupation, you may speak more or less words. It doesn't, he's, there's no distinction between men and women, uh, but it says that depending on what your occupation is, uh, you may speak more or less. But on average, the average person in our country speaks about 16,000 words in a day. This means that for the average person, if we were to write down every one of your words in a day, you would fill up a 55-page book in one day. That's how many words you speak on average in a day. This means that if we wrote down your words for a year, you would fill up 20,075 pages. I'll just give you a little bit of perspective of what that looks like. You guys remember the old uh, Encyclopedia Britannica sets? That's just a little bit less than that. <laughs> That's how many words the average person speaks in an entire year. Right? <clears throat> this study also said that the average person spends one-fifth, one-fifth of their life talking. Our text this morning deals with the tongue. Deals with the words that we speak. Now James has already dealt with this subject in his letter, but in this passage he is dealing with our tongue, that is our speech, at greater length. And what James is doing here is he it kind of reminds me of what I do with my children at home, what many of you do with your children at home. If you, if you have a child and, and that child comes up to you and says, Mommy, Daddy, I feel sick, the first thing that I typically do is I take a thermometer and I stick it underneath their tongue. Right? And I take their temperature. Because what's underneath their tongue is an indicator of what's going on in their entire body. Right? If they have a fever or not. I think James is doing uh, very much the same thing. He's, he is saying that with our tongue, we can take our spiritual temperature. We're going to be able to gauge our spiritual health, the spiritual health of your heart, what's taking place in your heart by the words that come out of your mouth. So that brings me to the main idea this morning. You guys know that I like to give you just a summary statement, a one-sentence summary statement of what our entire passage is about. So our main idea this morning in your notes there. The words that we say are a reflection of the genuineness of faith in our hearts. The words that you say, 16,000 of them in a day, 20,075 20, pages in a year. The words that you say are a reflection of the genuineness of the faith that's in your heart. 
I reminded you, right? You, the whole letter, if you haven't picked up on it yet, right? <clears throat> this, the person who is genuinely changed by the gospel, person that's changed by the Holy Spirit, as James says in, in chapter 1, verse 18, the person who of the will of God brought forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, right? That person's genuine faith is going to be put on display in how we live and one of the greatest areas of our life that we put our genuine faith on display where we will prove our faith either to be genuine or ungenuine is our speech, the words that we say. Now James deals with this topic. He, he deals with speech or with tongue every chapter in this letter. He mentions it in all five chapters, right? In, in chapter 1, verse 19, he says that we're to be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. Again, in, in chapter 1, verse 26, he says, if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart and his, this person's religion is worthless. It's useless. In chapter 2, verse 12, he tells us to speak and act as those who were judged under the law of liberty. In chapter 4, verse 11, he commands us do not speak evil against one another. And finally, in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 12, he says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So in chapter 5, he deals with the truthfulness of our words. But here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, James gives us an entire section that teaches us that the genuineness of our salvation will show up in the way that we talk. Okay? So let's look deeply at what James has to say here. Point one in your notes. It's interesting how James begins. He says that Christian teachers are held to a high standard with how they use their words. Christian teachers are held to a high standard with how they use their words. Now, it's fascinating to me, it's interesting here to me, that James begins this most detailed discussion on the tongue, on speech, in his letter by saying, with this command, not many of you should become teachers. That's kind of an odd way to begin a section on uh, the tongue, on our words. But in the early Jewish and Christian church, teachers would have held considerable prestige. This was an honorable position that people held. And I think that that's still somewhat true today, to some extent. Right? Pastors, preachers, they're given a certain level of honor and authority within the church. There are some people that I know, right, studied with in college and seminary, who when you got to know them and started talking to them and why it was that they wanted to go into ministry, you would see that it was a draw for this level of honor. That was their motivation because it's an honorable position to hold. Well, James warns against this. He, he warns against this and says that many people ought to avoid becoming teachers. Right? But why? Why? Why is it that we should avoid? Why is it that many people ought to avoid? Well, there are probably more reasons, but I can think of three. Three reasons why I think us that, that James tells us that we ought to be cautious about becoming teachers. The first is that teachers are held to a high standard because their ministry involves so much speech. Their ministry involves words. 
Now, if the average person speaks 16,000 words in a day, I would hate to know what the average pastor speaks on any given Sunday. Some of you guys are saying amen in your hearts right now, right? <clears throat> yeah, I can only imagine how many uh, words a teacher speaks on a given day. I would say that many are probably upwards of 16,000 words in a day. Pastor Richard and Pastor Matt both could probably attest to the same experience that I have, that on Sunday afternoons, I am more tired than I am any other point in the week. I, I'm exhausted when we get home. Just ask my wife, just ask my kids, especially on Sundays when I preach. Why? Because I've been using my voice all day, and my voice is tired. Right? James is warning us here that because this occupation, because this position requires an abundance of words there is a danger in an abundance of sin right? you, you see that james says here in verse 2 that we all stumble in many ways not only teachers but for teachers there is a greater opportunity to stumble a greater opportunity to sin with our words because the very position involves us speaking words but there's another reason sub point two there Teachers are held to a higher standard because they bear the responsibility of other people's spiritual welfare. Preachers, teachers, bear the responsibility, they bear the load of those who listen, their spiritual welfare, their spiritual well-being. So not only are teachers exposed to greater danger of using their words because of their constant use of the tongue, but they can also very easily lead people astray from sound teaching when using the tongue. Because of this, because of the stewardship of God's people that he entrusts to preachers and to teachers, he holds them then to stricter judgment. The Apostle Paul says to his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in these things, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, Paul recognizes and he teaches Timothy that, that Timothy bears the weight of the responsibility of the spiritual wel welfare of his congregation. And Paul says, because you bear that weight, persist, don't stop. Don't give even just a second. Don't let up not keeping watch over your ministry, over your life, and over your teaching. Because in doing that, you save not only yourself, but you save your hearers. Right? Their spiritual welfare rests on the way that Timothy uses his words. And because of that stewardship that comes from the Lord, his teachers are held to stricter judgment. Third reason. Teachers are held to a higher standard because they are entrusted with God's very word. Right? These aren't my words that are being spoken. This is, this is God's word. And when a preacher or a teacher stands up or begins to teach from the Bible, they are not merely teaching their opinion. They are not merely teaching uh, their persuasions or what they think or how they feel. You shouldn't care about those things. They're handling God's very word. Powerful words. Words that created everything out of nothing in the beginning. Because 
They are entrusted with the responsibility of teaching and preaching God's Word. They are held to a higher standard because they are standing, <clears throat> proclaiming God's Word to God's people. Right? Now, this is an honor that is shared by my fellow pastors here, but pastors aren't the only ones who possess the responsibility to teach God's Word. James isn't just talking to preachers here, occupational preachers. He's teaching, he's, he's talking here about any teacher within the church. So Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, small group leaders, any ministry that you participate in in which you are leading in teaching or preaching or proclaiming God's word, James is saying, right, this, this is to you. That you're held to stricter judgment by what you say you're speaking on behalf of the Lord himself. When you undertake this awesome responsibility to guide others in their faith and to teach God's word to other people, you have to understand that you must be very careful to exhibit the fruit of the faith that you're teaching. There's nothing worse than a preacher or a teacher who stands in a pulpit and screams and hollers and pounds and, and, and proclaims and commands and does all these things and then as soon as he steps down his his life doesn't match up with his own teaching jesus has some of the harshest words in the new testament for people who are like that hypocrites honor god with their lips but their hearts are far from me right that's what isaiah said of these people so how how can we apply this principle to our own lives well first I think that we all need to be very careful about what teachers we follow. You need to be very careful about what teachers you listen to. It matters what preachers you listen to on TV, on the radio, on podcasts. It matters when you go into the bookstore and you pull a book off the shelf right, to read it. You need to be very careful about what teachers you follow. There are many teachers in the world today who have entered into this calling with the complete wrong motivations. And they will lead you astray, and in leading you astray, will do you spiritual harm that can be beyond repair apart from the Holy Spirit. Right? They will lead you straight to the gates of hell with their teaching. So be very cautious. Be very careful about what teachers you follow. On the flip side of that, Right? We should also hold good teachers in appropriately high regard because their ministry is so valuable to us. Right? It's so important. Well, Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. He says, I urge you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord, and I admonish you to esteem them very highly in love because of their good work. See, not only are we to avoid bad teachers, but we're, we're to hold good teachers in high regard, in appropriately high regard. That's a command from Scripture. Good teachers, good, uh, faithful teachers of God's Word, and I am so thankful to serve in a body that is full of so many good teachers. They are a blessing from God. They're a blessing from God. I want to say to some of you guys, you're sitting here and you're like, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't hold any, any position like this. You know, that's great. You know, uh, good for those of you who do. I want to say something to you, you know, and, and, you, and you may be sitting there and you may hear James's words here and you think, thank goodness I'm not, right? And I don't ever want to be because of this. 
James isn't trying to deter people from the office of teaching here. He's not trying to say nobody should teach. He's trying to encourage the right kind of teachers. And he's warning those who are teachers, right? And so faithful teachers, good teachers, are a gift. They are a precious gift of God to the body of Christ to lead them in the way that they should go. And so it's not that we should avoid it. It's just that we should take great caution when we enter into it. It's not only teachers, though, that James says ought to watch over their words. This is a call to every single believer. That brings us to point two. Point two there, spirit-controlled speech is a fruit of Christian maturity. Spirit-controlled speech is a fruit of Christian maturity. Look at the second half of verse two. Look down at verse two. Second part of it. He says, and, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says. So if you're a person who doesn't stumble in what you say, He is a perfect man, perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Well, we know this is no one ever. (laughs) Anybody want to raise their hand and say, that's me, 2A describes me, 2B. I've got control of my tongue. I'm a perfect man. I'm able to control my whole body. Nobody, nobody in the history of the world except for Jesus He's the only one, right? He's the only one who can be described in this way. So, James also says, said the exact same thing. Look down at verse 7. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Look down at verse 7, verse 7 and 8. Every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So on the one hand, James says, right, if somebody's able to control their tongue, they're perfect and they're able to control their whole body. On the second half of it, he says, nobody's ever able to do that. You can tame wild animals, but you can't tame your tongue. No human being has ever been able to do that. But there's still this command to tame the tongue. So how do we do it? How does this work? How can we tame our tongues? Well, our only hope is that we have to have our tongues controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's our only hope. Only hope to have control over your words is to have your tongue bridled and controlled by the work of the Holy Spirit. We read from Luke chapter 6, verse 45, where Jesus said, Out of the overflow of our hearts do our mouths speak. So in order for us to have tongues that are tamed, in order for us to have speech that is under control, we must first have hearts that are reborn by the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can do it. It's the only hope that we have. This is not something, this is not a command that you can obey in your own strength. So many times I've heard and I have read this passage preached, and the application is simply this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get this little thing under control. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, and everybody will be just fine. That's not the case. That's not the case. Because you know, <clears throat> you can follow that advice, but eventually your tongue's going to get the better of you. Why is that? It's because it's coming out of here. What comes out of here, comes out of your mouth, is a reflection of what comes out of your heart. Right? And so in order for us to gain control over our speech, to truly gain control over our speech, we have to have our hearts reborn in the power of 
the gospel. You might be able to control your words for a little while, but eventually that thing is going to get away from you and the only hope that you have to be that perfect man, the man who's able to bridle his whole body, is to be reborn in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Christ died on the cross to bear the judgment that we deserve because of our cold, dead, sinful hearts. If we trust in Him, if we place our faith in Him, and He gives us that new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that has God's law written on it, right? then from that heart can flow words that honor God. James uses two illustrations here in this, in this section. He, he <clears throat> uses an illustration of a bit in the mouth of a horse, and he uses the illustration of a rudder on the back of a ship. Both these illustrations are saying the same thing. Something small has disproportionate power over something that's really big, right? Something that's really little has disproportionate power over something that's really, really big. Well, that's, that's our tongue. It's a small member of the body, but it has disproportionate power over our lives. You want to find yourself in this, these two illustrations here, right? <clears throat> Again, this is not works righteousness. This is not, uh, I sit on the horse and I put that bit in its mouth and I can control the horse. No, in this illustration, you're the horse. I'm the horse. We're the ones that need to be controlled. We're the ones that need to have the bit put in our mouth. And once that bit's put in the mouth, what does James say? Who is it to control the horse? It's the rider. It's the will of the rider. It's the Holy Spirit. The ship. You're the ship. I'm the ship. Tossed around by these strong waves, and that rudder, by that rudder, the pilot is able to steer and navigate that whole ship. Right? It's the will of the pilot, James says. That's the Holy Spirit for those of us who are, uh, who are believers. Right? <clears throat> if we have genuine faith, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the controlling. So how does the Holy Spirit use our words for God's glory? Pastor Richard read from us from Ephesians chapter 4 to begin the service. Does that, does that passage that we read this morning, does it describe you, the way that you use your words? Right? <clears throat> are, are, are you a person who's quick to give grace to those who hear? Are you a person who extends forgiveness quickly because you know you've been forgiven by Christ by so much? Are you a person who's quick to build unity among the church? Are you a person who's quick to build unity among your family? Or do you use your words to tear people down and to bring division? Like there is a great warning here that James gives us about the person whose mouth is out of control. And that's our final point, point three. Uncontrolled speech flows from a heart that is unchanged by the gospel. So if, if spirit-controlled speech is the fruit of a, of a Christian maturity, of a heart that has been changed by the gospel, uncontrolled speech then is the fruit of a person whose heart is unchanged by the gospel. Right, James closes this section here by saying that our words are dangerously powerful. They are dangerously powerful and they are full of wickedness and evil. Our tongue is full of wickedness and evil. He says that it's full of deadly poison. Right? He compares our words here, beginning in verse 5, he compares our words to a spark that ignites an uncontrollable fire. 
or an untamed beast. And when I read this passage, it makes me think of, you watch the news the last several years, it seems like out west there's constantly these forest fires, right? Massive, uncontrollable. The only thing you can do is just get out of the way and let them burn. And these things destroy forests, they destroy homes, they destroy even cities, right? Entire cities and towns fleeing just trying to get out of the way of this uncontrollable fire. But what's fascinating is you watch the news and you hear about these fires, what typically starts those fires? It's a little spark. It's a campfire, right, that was left unattended, that wasn't put out properly. I guess that person never heard Smokey the Bear. You guys remember Smokey the Bear? Only you can prevent forest fires, right, and teach you how to put out your forest fire properly. That's what our tongue is like. Little bitty spark, little bitty moment, right? Words that come out of your mouth and maybe even as they're coming out of your mouth, it's almost like you can see them and you wish you could reach out and grab them, but you can't, right? Little spark and the whole thing is set ablaze. The destruction that our words can cause. Out of control. Image of an untamed beast, right? If you think of a lion, we love to go to the zoo up in Louisville. I take my family up there. I think of the lions that are there. Right? People go in and feed those things. Oh, they're safe. They're tame. They're used to humans. It's a lion. Right? It'll, it'll bite your face off. Right? It's not tame. It's dangerous. Right? It's the way our tongue is. Right? We seek to coddle these things and think that it's okay, but our tongues are dangerous. They are disproportionately dangerous. And here's the main point. Here's the main idea in this. A person who has absolutely no control over his words is a person whose heart is utterly lost. If you're a person who has no control over your words, James is saying here that you're a person whose heart is utterly lost. Gospel hasn't taken root. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think, can't really say amen to that. Amen to that. You kind of say, oh me. Right? Or ouch. Perhaps even this morning, your words have caused division in your family. Husbands, particularly the you, are your words used in your household to encourage and to build up your wife, your children? Especially husbands, I think that we have a responsibility to watch this in our homes because our words can so quickly do damage to our family. You can tear your wife down so fast and leave so much damage in your wake that you can break apart your family with your words. Same way with your kids. Same thing with your children. Perhaps you're here this morning and you think, man, I've been so careless with my words, my kids won't even talk to me anymore. That's the damage that your words can cause. Pastor John MacArthur says this. He says, in all of the Bible, the focal point of our fallenness and depravity is the mouth. In all of the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the focal point of our fallenness and depravity is right here in the mouth. He goes on to say that nothing more marks a man's sinfulness than his mouth. Think about this. We all know what the first sin was, right? Genesis chapter 3. 
Satan enters into the garden, tempts Adam and Eve, and they rebel against God. They, they disobey God's direct command not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Do you remember what the second sin is? It's the sin of the mouth. God comes to Adam in the garden and he says, what have you done? And Adam says, it wasn't me. It was that woman that you gave to me. It was a lie. It was a lie. It was the sin of the mouth. The second sin committed was the sin of the mouth. Think of the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah goes before the throne of God and sees him in all of his glory and all of his holiness. He sees angels singing the song that we sang this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah falls down on his face and says, woe is me, because I am a man with unclean lips. And I live among a people with unclean lips. And it's at that moment that one of those angels goes and gets a coal out of a burning lampstand and takes it and touches it to the lips of the prophet. Purifies his mouth so that he can then go and proclaim the word of God. Brothers and sisters, nothing more marks man's sinfulness and the wickedness that is in your heart than your mouth. It teaches it all throughout the Bible. I could give you a ton more examples, but we don't have time. <laughs> you can go look at them after uh, the service today. Well, if that's you this morning, <laughs> if, if you have left a wake of destruction in your path by the words that you have used, I want you to know that there's hope for you today. There is hope for you even today. Jesus Christ came and He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He was that perfect man that James talks about, able to control his whole body. He lived a perfect life that you could never live and He went and He died on the cross in your place. And He bore the punishment for your sin, for your sinful words that you deserve. He died there on the cross in your place. And God raised him from the dead so that all who would confess, there it is again, use of the mouth, use of the words. John says in 1 John 9, if we confess, if we say our sin, that he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're here this morning and, and, and your words are absolutely under control, out of control, uh, because of a heart that's unchanged by the gospel, the good news is this. You can use that mouth of yours to confess your sins to Jesus and He'll forgive them and He'll give you a new heart and He'll change your mouth. He'll change your words. He can do it in the power of His Holy Spirit. So won't you trust in Him today? Well, some of you may be here and <clears throat> think the scariest part of this passage comes at the very end. Maybe you're here today and you think, you know what, that, that you know, I struggle every now and then, but I don't, I don't leave a path of destruction in my past with my words. You know, my, for the most part, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. My mouth is, is it's all right. It's, it's under control. I mean, I'm here this morning, right? I, I sing. I profess faith in Jesus. Well, James saves this last part for, those, for us, for, for, for me, and for you in that category, right? He tells us that it's not just explicitly evil words that come from an unchanged heart. But it's also inconsistent words 
that come from an unchanged heart. Let's look at what he says here uh, down in verse 9. It says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You see, it's not just explicitly evil speech that damns your heart. It's inconsistent speech that can damn your heart. Brothers and sisters, listen. There is a big difference between a person who professes faith and a person who actually possesses faith. You hear that? There's a big difference between a person who just professes, who merely professes faith, and a person who actually possesses that faith. How do we know if we're the type of person who maybe professes faith but doesn't possess it? Because we'll have inconsistent speech. With the same mouth we will bless and we will curse. In our same words, we will honor our Lord and Savior. We will sing songs to Him. We will read Bible verses. We can even stand in a pulpit and preach God's Word. But if our words are inconsistent, then that's the fruit of an unchanged heart. That's the fruit of a heart that has not been changed. Jesus reserves his strictest warnings for these kinds of people, for these kinds of teachers. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is standing before the Pharisees and he's having this conflict with the Pharisees and he tells them, you know, it's conflict over washing of hands, ritual cleansing, being pure on the outside. And Jesus says to them, you hypocrites. First time in Matthew's gospel that Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites in Matthew 15. And he says, well did the prophet Isaiah prophesy about you when he said, those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says that there will be those who will stand before him in the end, stand before him on the throne, and who will say, Lord, did I not preach in your name? Did I not speak in your name? Did I not do many great works in your name? And Jesus will look at that person and say to them, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our inconsistent speech is a sign that our hearts are unchanged by the gospel. So brothers and sisters, examine your words this morning. Examine your words, and in so doing, examine your hearts. Do you possess that kind of genuine faith? Does the Holy Spirit have a reign over your tongue? What a tiny but powerful member of the body the tongue is it can tear people down it can tear down churches it can rip apart families it can destroy relationships it can wreck your marriage it can devastate your home but on the other hand it can build up it can create love 
It can, it can encourage other believers. It can bring comfort in times of sorrow. It can bring peace in times of unrest. It can bring joy in our mourning. Powerful, powerful thing this little tongue is. What a practical word this is for us today. Will you join me in prayer? Our Holy Father, we ask that you would give us the grace by your Spirit to control our tongue. Even those of us who are saved, who have living faith, who have new hearts, we know that there are so many of those old ways still left in there. And so, Father, I beg you to help us to, to give ourselves to the sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit in our mouths so that our speech will always be filled with grace, so that we'll always be full of mercy, so that we'll be quick to encourage and build one another up. Father, forgive us when we fall short. We pray that you would sanctify our mouths so that our whole bodies can live for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.